This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. After months of showing solidarity with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the COVID-19 crisis, Ontario's premier publicly blasted the federal liberals on Monday. Doug Ford called the feds out for failing to provide COVID-19 testing for international air travelers arriving at Pearson Airport from outside the country. The premier went so far as to say that with or without the federal government's assistance, the province would set up roadside COVID tests for international travelers leaving the airport. This was among the hot topics of conversation when Libby Snymer was joined by the Tuesday strategy panel, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, managing principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. I think that it's, it's obvious, and, and we've seen it throughout the pandemic, the premier has always uh, been emotional. His, 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 um, his comments have always been heartfelt, and, and he is one to wear his emotions on his sleeves. We've seen that in, in, in good times, we've seen it in bad times, and certainly in the most challenging time of this pandemic, it's no different. Uh, and I think, by and large, this premier has been absolutely fair. Uh, and in some cases, even his own team sometimes criticize him for being a bit too fair and too gentle with the, with the federal government. But I think it's worked well. Uh, during the pandemic, because whenever there's been issues, uh, it was important for the prime minister and the premier of the largest province in Canada to work well together. And, and by and large, they have. And, and notwithstanding, I think, this, this latest rant, I think they still do uh, have a mutual respect and, and, uh, and, and admiration for, for the work that they've been doing during the pandemic. And I think that, that will continue. With respect to, the, to the, the, the premier's rant, specifically regarding the airport and travelers, Listen, this has always been an issue with the federal liberals. They've always had, and there's been some criticism, and, I, and, I, and I've always given the prime minister uh, his due credit when, when deserved. But when it comes to allowing international travelers into Canada, that's always been a head-scratcher for a lot of people. You know, there, there's, there's always been flights coming in to, uh, to Pearson and other airports in Canada when everything else was locked down. And I know that there was some... You know, there was a sense of only essential services and essential business was able to do that. But there were people that were going on vacation. Everybody heard, everybody had a family or friend member who came back and said, I was at the airport. And there was a people, a trainload of folks coming in from the tropics. And, you know, and so that was always a bewilderment of why he kept doing that. And this is no different, given the fact that we've got this mutant strain now in the UK. Uh, and, and, you know, so he, then the prime minister did shut down the airport for, for UK travelers, but the international travelers is still an issue and the GTAA still has to continue to ensure that their testing is beyond just, you know, making sure people have a, have their temperature checked when they leave, when they leave the airport and there's no tracking after that. Charles, uh, was he just deflecting? According to the numbers, the people coming in through the airport are not a huge source of the infection. It's in the community. Yeah, that's right. I mean, first off, it's mostly Canadians that are on those flights. 
and uh, whether for good reasons or not, as John points out. And yes, the Premier was deflecting, and the Premier was angry, and the Premier was conflating the new strain of the virus that has emerged in the UK with uh, lack of testing at airports, when in fact the federal Liberals have put in place a 72-hour uh, prohibition on flights from the UK. I won't be shocked if that's extended just until we have more details around what this new virus is all about or what this new variant of the virus is all about. It appears to be um, not more dangerous, but a lot more transmissible. So that's of concern. So if, if you know, obviously, as John put it eloquently, uh, the Premier went on a bit of a rant yesterday. If the federal Liberals are smart, they will just let it slide because uh, Doug Ford has been a very important ally in the fight against COVID. He's maintained um, a moderate science-based approach, often in the face of enormous pressure from his members of his cabinet, members of his caucus, members of his party, members of the right wing who think we should just let this thing run rampant and develop herd immunity very much in the uh, tradition of you-know-who down south. <laughs> <laughs> didn't mention it. Come on, Charles, say his name. <laughs> the 45th president. We know you States. want to. Uh, <laughs> uh, Karen, wh- what's your view? Now, on the one hand, the premier is right that these people are supposed to self-isolate when they come in, and a lot of them just don't. And I yeah. have... I have I'm to say, I'm sympathetic to the what? premier. I absolutely agree with the position that they sh- they should shut down international flights for the next 14 days. No questions asked. Period. End of story. Because if the federal health minister has the audacity to say, "Oh, it's only about one percent of travelers that are coming in with COVID," it's only about one percent of COVID cases that are transmitted through small business. And so, if you're going to shut down small retailers, you better well shut down the international flights. And so I am extremely sympathetic to the rant. And I think, you know, to small businesses that have been forced to shut their doors during the busiest season of the year and, you know, pivot to online shopping, which is virtually impossible for some of the retailers on the main streets, to them having to know that there's cases coming in every day, planes traveling from Asia and Europe and now the UK, and that they are watching their businesses crumble and the government's not even imposing an international flight ban. I think the rant was totally well-founded. Well, yeah. you know what? Let, let, me, let me tell you another anecdote. Let me tell you a story. Uh, one of my neighbors here uh, who has a friend who, uh, I think a couple months ago, so it was during the, during the, 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 the height of the pandemic and, and whatnot, went, went to drive across the border to go to their place in Florida. So instead of flying, obviously, they, they wanted to drive. Got to the border. The border, uh, the U.S. border police basically said to them, you know, where are you going? Well, we're going to our place uh, in Florida because there's been a pipe burst uh, and we have to go there because we're worried that it's going to get flooded. Uh, so border police let them through on the, on, the, uh, on the way they went to Florida. The next day, they got a knock on the door from the local sheriff's office and said, I understand that you had a pipe burst in your place here. Can, I, can we inspect it, please? Uh, only, to, only to find out that it was not the case. Uh, they were fined. They lost their nexus uh, privileges, and they were sent back. So, you know, there are cases where, you know, people are, you know, trying to get Hooray. through the border. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, the the problem with that border is that everything is at the discretion of whatever border guard you happen to encounter. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's a, that's a story of, you know, an anecdote where there is there is some some checking that's going on. With it did my to heart like good, life. John. <laughs> Am I being mean? <laughs> well, no, because I, I think maybe the point is, is that there's, um, 
there seems to be this picking and choosing of which businesses can stay open and which ones can close. And when you're part of the general public just trying to you know, stop the spread of COVID, it's like, okay, I guess. But when you're actually running those businesses, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that Costco would be allowed to stay open, that Walmart can stay open, that Mark's Work Warehouse can stay open, that Best Buy can stay open. I and agree. Yet, uh, all of the retailers, because they, you know, for some reason, they, they, they don't declare essential. Meanwhile, all of the assembly lines stay open. All the meat processing factories are open. With workplaces where we know that there is spread, continue to stay open. And it's just for people that are being impacted by it, it's so hard to reconcile. Even if you want to stop the spread and you're committed to stopping the spread, there's a logic gap for people. And I would just say Toronto Pearson is doing a fantastic job because, you know, it is a really, really difficult logistical exercise in the best of times to bring through as many people as they bring through. Like in a normal year, they're doing around 35 million passengers in a year. And the trick is not getting the planes in and out. That's relatively easy. The trick is getting the bodies in and out at the terminal and then throw a pandemic, throw the coronavirus into that mix. And it's really, really hard. And they are doing an amazing job in terms of the distancing provisions they have in place, in terms of staggering flights. But, you know, and Dr. Fauci was saying this yesterday in relation to the UK situation. Dr. Fauci himself was saying that International travel by, by plane is really not an issue. The science just doesn't say that it's a huge problem. I hear, Karen, 100% on the enormous frustration that's faced by small business. The federal government has done its level best to try to alleviate a lot of that burden. It's not help. It's not saving everyone. There's a massive economic dislocation. But the reality is that, you know, in the midst of a pandemic of this nature, uh, we just have to follow the science. And, you know, obviously the big story today is the fact that the Premier's announcement of, um, the, extent of, the, of the lockdown province-wide for two weeks in northern Ontario and for northern Ontario and four weeks in southern Ontario is that we're waiting until December 26 to put this in. And I think this is indicative of the kind of terrible pressure he's under wanting to balance the safety of Ontarians with you know, economic realities that the Christmas season or the holiday season is so incredibly vital to uh, to retailers. Uh, and so it's, no one envies the position he's in. Libby Snymer in conversation with Fightback's Tuesday strategy panel, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, the efficacy of a province-wide lockdown from an epidemiologist's point of view. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There were many COVID-19 developments early this past week. Mostly notable, Premier Doug Ford's announcement on Monday of a province-wide lockdown, which began yesterday and continues for 14 days in northern Ontario and 28 days in the southern part of the province. 
Meantime, Canada had just banned flights from the UK for 72 hours because of the advent of a new variant of the virus, which appears to be much more contagious. Libby Snymer spoke about these developments with epidemiologist Dr. Prabhat Jha from the Dalalana School of Public Health. We really are running out of uh, tools that uh, the government can use. Uh, and so moving to a lockdown, uh, I think, is the only logical step. So now the good news is that um, the number of cases has stabilized at uh, between 2,000 each in Quebec and Ontario, which is basically how that goes, is how the country goes. Now, that's uh, good news in the sense that it's not continuing to go up, but we're still at a very high level. The numbers of hospitalizations continues to creep up slowly, and so far the health system is able to deal with these, but it's really being stretched so the way to think about this is, you know, we've stretched the band and if it gets really quite bad, then it might well cause real problems um, uh, or much worse of an increase. So I think in that context, trying to do more restrictions does make sense because there's very few current tools available. Um, now, hindsight is, of course, 2020, but much of this would have been avoided had we really prepared in the summer with much better tracing, contact tracing um, in particular, and much better coverage of the testing, if that much were more widely available. But since we weren't prepared, then we do have to resort to these, uh, to these efforts. Let me turn to this new variant that seems mm-hmm. to be responsible for most of the cases in London. What do you know about it? The key thing that I'm looking for is whether... The um, the variants, at least as they can best study, uh, will affect the vaccines. Um, and the suggestion so far has been that it won't, uh, which is the really important news. You expect variations or mutations as things as for any virus over time. This new strain, uh, I think, to the credit, it's because England has got a very good molecular. Uh, tracing system. So they actually should, we should be doing this in Canada, is testing a good chunk of all of the samples that come in for their genetic variation and drift. So you have, you're trying to keep ahead of the uh, the changes in the virus. Uh, so it might well be that the mutations has also arrived here. How widely it's spreading, we don't know yet. That's where you need the data to be able to guide Now, the reassuring news, although it appears to be more infectious, it doesn't uh, necessarily mean that it's a uh, deadlier, deadlier disease, which would be of concern. The key thing, which I'll look for this week, is some of the early studies that show does the current set of vaccines, the way they're designed, are they able to deal with the mutations? The early sense from the scientist was, yes, we should be okay. Do you think that the right move, I mean, we've banned flights from the UK for 72 hours. Is that enough to keep it out of here? Probably not. And uh, quite frankly, politicians turn to ban flights because it's an easy thing to say, oh, yeah, we banned the flights. But their effect is, uh, it, unless you do it really quickly and early with no warning, then in fact, the U.S. evidence suggests that the so-called bans uh, 
flights from China actually accelerated the introduction because what people said, oh, ban is coming, and a lot more of them exited China. So by some measures, 40,000 people came to the U.S. after the ban was announced from China, and that probably spread the infection uh, more than it would have. The key thing, I think, here is surveillance. You need better biologic data and to understand how this is changing. We need the science to say, is the vaccine going to respond against it, which hopefully it will be. And it comes back to the core principles of you need really good expanded testing. Ontario should be hitting 100,000 tests a day. And we need to get our contact tracing system, which has almost collapsed, really back up and running. Those okay. are what I would say is the priorities for the next uh, month. Epidemiologist Dr. Prabhat Jha from the Dalalana School of Public Health in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Everyone who buys groceries has certainly noticed that prices have been going up during the pandemic. And recent research suggests the cost of food will go up even more next year. An average Canadian family of four will pay nearly $700 more for groceries during 2021. Earlier this month, Libby discussed the report with Stuart Smythe, Associate Professor in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Saskatchewan, and Paul Ace with the Ontario Agriculture College, University of Guelph, and co-author of the Food Price Report. We worked out a ratio depending on uh, the family, the age of the family. So obviously kids that are younger than that, we anticipate them to obviously eat less, and obviously that impact would be uh, would be reduced. Obviously, someone at my age would be reduced as well. So there's a whole ratio that we look. But obviously, what you mentioned was what is often the most vulnerable group of people who are are, are parents with with particularly with teenage kids who, as we know, seem to consume an awful lot of food, and they're therefore the most vulnerable. What about uh, older people on fixed incomes? Uh, are, are they looking at a less onerous increase? No, I don't. Well, I don't really think so, because the, the food prices are going to be across the board. And, and I think, you know, seeing anybody on fixed income, senior or, or low-income households, it, it, it's going to be more of a challenge next year to, to buy that balanced nutrition, um, you know, high nutrition bundle of of groceries on a weekly basis. You know, it's interesting. I remember last year, the the biggest increase was in meat and the Canada Food Guide and others have been telling us to eat more vegetables. And I thought, well, if if the price of meat is going up, that's a a perfect opportunity to do that. But but here this year, it's both meat and vegetables that are that are going up. Um, I don't know, um, you know, that that does that seems to be difficult for for keeping a nutritious diet paul oh i think you're right libby yeah that um you you know trying to follow the food guide gets to be challenging when when your key protein sources are are both scheduled for for price increases of you know four to to six percent in the coming year so it's i think the, the the maybe the one saving grace is that most of the I think most of the vegetable price increases will be more for the for the fresh ones that we would import from the southern U.S. at this time of year, and 
And there may be a possibility to, to save a little bit of money by switching to some frozen vegetables for, for the next few months that, that hopefully won't see quite the, the same price increases because a lot of the frozen vegetables are produced in Canada during the summer months. Uh, one of the interesting things that I found in this report, they said, yeah, the pandemic is a factor, but it's not the main factor. And this, despite the fact that what I've seen is is that people selling the food have had to spend a lot of money on making everything safe. And uh, they've also really beefed up their online offerings, which which isn't cheap. You're right, and, and that extends all the way through the supply chain, Libby, so that the, you know, the meat processing plants have, have put in a lot of protection, uh, the wholesale stores, retail, exactly. So those costs are going to get passed on to, to us as consumers. Um, but it's unfortunate, and, and you know, it would be nice if, if once we get through the pandemic and, and vaccination rates are, are good and we're back to normal, that, you know, the the cost of that additional protection start to, to show up on the, the items we're purchasing. And then on top of it, ironically, Libby, it's, there's a bit of a double whammy here because obviously there's a, the sector that would be, that, that, are, that are out of things at the moment, at the food service. Um, we're actually have, have anticipated because people are eating out less, that in fact actually the increases have actually decreased Less than we could have if we were, if the food service uh, process, uh, sector was in full swing, um, which of course is is a more expensive way of eating. Paul Ace with the Ontario Agriculture College, University of Guelph, and co-author of the Food Price Report, along with Stuart Smythe, associate professor in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Rudy in Toronto phoned about the higher price of food. It was a good thing that the price of meat uh, is going up and people will eat less meat, uh, but it's too bad if vegetables are expensive also. You know, uh, like uh, people that raise animals, they, they cut a lot of corners to save money, and that, uh, that's not very humane for the animals. So the meat should be more expensive. That's what I think. Murray and Malton called to talk about what he sees as an easy solution to ensure nursing home workers have the best protective equipment. Because there's uh, still some long-term care homes not uh, distributing the PPE properly, I think Doug Ford should do something to address that. Maybe even send out a van with uh, PPE in it and just give it to the, the employees of these long-term homes so they're they're properly protected and they're protecting the, the people who live there. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Tom in Toronto. 
my mother lives in a Baycrest, a long-term care facility in yep. the, uh, the old age home. And I can tell you, they're actually doing a pretty fantastic job in the way that they're um, maintaining distancing and controlling activity or entry, rather. I'm a, I'm a caregiver, so I'm tested every seven days, and I have to follow a very strict protocol. Uh, they've done a great job. I, I know, unfortunately, a lot of them haven't. My comment is that I, I, I'm hearing so many people blame this particular government for what's going on. Now, certainly, the government is responsible for hopefully making changes. But this is a problem, I believe, that's a lot older than a year and a half or however long Doug Ford has been in government. This, this problem goes back many, many years. So, so to lay the blame strictly at the feet of this government, I think, is unfair. I think you've got to look at the Wynn government and the McGuinty government and the federal government uh, of the last 10 to 20 years. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And have your say anytime on our Fightback voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Please join me for a special Fightback production tomorrow after the noon news on Zoomer Radio. The best of Fight Back 2020, a look back at the year of the pandemic. And as always, join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.